You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM, and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday, the 15th of March. A very warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. Here are today's business headlines. Hong Kong yesterday reported a record 249 COVID-19 deaths, pushing the cumulative death toll in the Omicron outbreak past 4,000. The Centre for Health Protection reported 26,908 new coronavirus infections Monday. That takes the total number of cases since the fifth wave started in December to over 721,000. Mainland China reported 2,125 locally transmitted COVID cases on Monday. Authorities have placed all 17 million residents in Shenzhen under lockdown until March the 20th during which time it will launch three rounds of mass testing. Given the outbreaks on both sides of the border, Shenzhen officials announced that Hong Kong drivers will no longer be allowed to cross and must instead hand over their vehicles to their mainland counterparts. Apple's iPhone assembler Foxconn suspended output at its Chinese headquarters in Shenzhen, including at the Longwang Guanlan Industrial Parks, where workers had been assembling the latest iPhone 13. The company said it has backup plants and has already made necessary deployments to reduce the impact. The resumption of the business depends on government approval, according to the company. The International Monetary Fund said Ukraine's economy is set to contract by 10% this year as a result of Russia's invasion, but the outlook could worsen sharply if the conflict continues. In a report prepared ahead of the IMF's approval of 1.4 billion US dollars in emergency financing for Ukraine, it warned the country's economic output could shrink by 25% to 35%, based on GDP data from Iraq, Lebanon and other countries at war. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Jack Sue from Credit Suisse and John Schofield at Tempest Investment. With a view from Japan, it's Tokyo-based, Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US shares dropped on the prospect of higher interest rates as the Fed prepares to start its two-day monetary policy meeting later today. The S&P 500 fell 0.7% to 4,173 in the seventh negative session out of the last eight. The Dow gave up a gain of over 450 points to end the session just one point higher at 32,945. And as Composite Index dropped 2% to 12,581. Shares of Apple fell 2.7% after Foxconn, which is assembling the updated iPhone 13, shut down production in Shenzhen after the city went into lockdown. The Pan-European Stock 600 index rose 1.2%. London's FTSE 100 climbed half a percent. Trading in Moscow has been suspended for at least another week, leaving the benchmark Moex index frozen with an almost 35% loss for the year to date. Hong Kong stocks plummeted by the most in 22 months yesterday as the Omicron variant continues to spread across the city and over the border in Shenzhen and amid further restrictions on the technology sector from Beijing. 
the Hang Seng Index tumbled 5% or 1,022 points to drop below the 20,000 mark for the first time since 2016. The benchmark index closed out the day at a six-year low of 19,532, taking its losses for the month to 14%. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index of mainland Chinese stocks listed in the city closed 7.2% lower, the largest one-day fall since November 2008 during the global financial crisis. The Hang Seng Tech Index dived 11%, its biggest daily fall ever, dropping below the 4,000 level to hit a new record low of 3,778. The index has fallen more than 26% in March so far, on course for its biggest monthly drop ever. Tencent collapsed 10% after the Wall Street Journal reported that the tech giant may face a record fine by Beijing authorities for anti-money laundering violations on its WeChat Pay mobile network. Shares of Tencent closed at $331.80. That's their lowest closing level since December 2019. Food giant Metuan slumped 17% and hot pot restaurant chain Hydelow plunged 18% as the lockdowns on the mainland made China's 5.5% growth target look even more unachievable. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite fell 2.6% to 3,223 and in Shenzhen, the tech-heavy Chinex dropped 3.6%. Oil prices dropped sharply as peace talks between Russia and Ukraine resumed on Monday. Brent crude oil dropped over 5% and is at $106 a barrel this morning. Copper plunged over 2%. Gold is down 1.6% at $1,953 an ounce. Palladium dropped almost 14% to $2,418 per ounce in its worst day since March 2020. Ahead of this week's Fed meeting, the US 10-year bond yield is back above 2%, reaching its highest level since July 2019. The yield jumped 15 basis points to 2.14%. And in Germany, the yield on the 10-year Bund rose 12 basis points to a more than three-year high of 0.37%. In the currency markets... The euro is trading at $1.09.5. The Japanese yen is at a five-year low of 118.3 against the dollar. One British pound buys $1.30 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 18 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.39.5 against the dollar in offshore markets. In Asian stocks, the SX200 is down three quarters of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off about a third of a percent at the open. The Nikkei 225. Uh, Cosby in South Korea is down half a percent and the woes look set to continue for Hong Kong shares this morning. The US traded uh, Nasdaq Golden Dragon China Index tumbled another 12% Monday, taking its drawdown to 75% from its recent all-time high, which surpasses the drawdown recorded during the global financial crisis. ADR's trading in New York fell another 2% overnight, indicating the Hang Seng could start trading about 370 points lower at around 19,150 later on this morning. Eight ten and a half. Let's welcome our guests over in the Queensway studio. We have John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment. Morning, John. Yes, hello. Good morning, Peter. And on the phone, we have Jack Sue, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. Morning, Jack. 
Good morning, Peter. Um, let's start in Hong Kong, John. Another disastrous day for yeah. um, Hong Kong shares, and not not a good day for mainland Chinese shares um, either. We're seeing some of the biggest falls on record now for the Hang Seng um, Tech Index. Before we try and look forward and see where we go from here, what's your assessment of what's causing these declines? Because they're they're worse than anything we're seeing anywhere else in the world at the moment. Uh, yes, I mean, it, it, it's a, a double, triple, quadruple whammy, I think. Um, you know, the bad news is coming in from, from all directions, whether it's, um, you know, no no end game uh, in COVID, um, no, uh, you know, continuing uh, crackdown, regulatory crackdown, again, with no, no real... Um, sense of uh, where it's going to end, where that's all going to end. Um, obviously, over the ge- geopolitical uh, disasters, the <laughs> the property, uh, you know, we, we, we're seeing uh, the stresses from the from the China mainland property market uh, still still coming coming through, and um, you know, rampant inflation on a global basis. So. Can't get much worse no, than that, can it, no, really? No. And, and the, you mentioned the property sector. I mean, we're seeing um, a lot of stress in the dollar bond markets for these Chinese real yeah. estate firms. They're tumbling to new lows, and it seems the contagion is now reaching some of China's stronger state-backed uh, developers. Uh, yes, indeed, that, that's, um, that, that, that's the case, yeah. Um, I think we said right at the beginning of this with the, with the Evergrande situation, it was going to, it was going to be a long... Long, long process um, of uh, gradually de- deleveraging and deflating. Mm. Um, Jack, what, Jack, what's your what's your assessment? Where where do you what what's behind all of this? Well, clearly, um, I agree with everything that's just been discussed. Um, challenges coming from all angles: um, housing market, uh, regulations, U.S. and China. Uh, looking at fundamentals, uh, it's not good. The outlook on COVID, the outbreak uh, in Shenzhen, Shanghai right now, um, is really uh, uncertainty to when um, the situations can improve. And um, we have not yet hear about counter-cyclical um, stimulus mm. yet. Well, we heard the signal from the authority that that is in place if needed, but we haven't heard uh, what's coming mm. looking at the current situation. Well, until then, <clears throat> investors will be challenged by current uncertainty and markets need to price in a sufficient discount for any investor to be jumping in right here, right now. Although I want to make a uh, very important point about the market here, the Hang Seng Index is trading at a nine times uh, 12.4 PE ratio. Uh, which is a low uh, only seen uh, 11 years ago in 2021 and 2011. And valuation has reflected a lot of bad news now and is looking quite cheap. Uh, but for anyone to jump in now, um, you have to be able to, uh, I guess, to weather through this volatility in the short term. But that is beginning to show. Mm. Um, you, you mentioned the policy um, uncertainty on the mainland. I've heard quite a few people now say one of the issues is that um, there does seem to be economic uncertainty, e- economic policy uncertainty coming from the mainland. Would, would you agree with that assessment? Um, in reality, is um, the, the central authority has sent a very clear message on where the stimulus is, and it's going to be in infrastructure. 
you know, it's going to be new energy infrastructure, traditional infrastructure, and um, digital economy infrastructure. Elsewhere, you know, you get relaxation of housing uh, restrictions, housing policies, but not enough to prevent uh, the further collapse of defaults that's still coming. Uh, we heard um, tax, taxes and fees being cut to support SMEs and consumers. But again, with property prices not rising, maybe falling slightly, uh, with asset prices, stock prices not rising, uh, which is a majority of where the savings are, not rising, you just don't expect consumers to be doing the heavy lifting for the economy. Mm. And now we have lockdown coming through. So the only bright spot where the stimulus is, I think sufficiently big enough, is infrastructure. And that's where the investment should be. Mm. Do you think, John, we need more investment in infrastructure mm. on, on the mainland? Is that the right place to focus? Um, well, it's it's been the, the, the policy for, for, for many years. Um, I, I, I guess that's the way to, um, in the absence of any other uh, option, uh, I think probably it's the, the way to, to continue mm. China's development. I mean, just going back to what Jack was saying, I mean, the... As far as the Hong Kong economy is saying, the two sessions meetings are um, saying all the right things about, um, you know, ensuring Hong Kong's uh, place as a financial hub, uh, integrating the Greater Bay Area, um, stability and, and economic development and all the rest of it, saying all the right things, but um, how on earth can we, can we do anything while we're, while we're in complete isolation? Mm. Uh, both on ch- from China and... Um, but, but the problem and, for Hong Kong is that, unlike China, we don't have a manufacturing sector to speak of that we can rely on. I mean, we do Chinese, uh, sort of re-export Chinese goods, but but, but not our own. And yeah, our well, service sector has been decimated by these lockdowns. Yes, that, well, well, exactly. Um, so, you know, the, the market, going back to the market, you know, needs to see... They've got to see a light at the end of the tunnel... Um, in some form, um, you know, so that so that we can have a, have a, have, you know, so that the investor can price, you know, can see what uh, you know what is a reasonable risk at the moment. Mm. There's no way of evaluating um, stocks or or or, or the risk, um, and um, until we have a clear, we we have to have a clear exit strategy from yeah. COVID. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter if it's another six months. It doesn't. Well, that 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 would be would be bad. But it but it'd be better than no uh, time horizon. So the number one message is we need to hear what is the plan to get out of this from from the yeah. Hong Kong government. Yeah. Okay, okay. Can I just jump in here because my estimate, or you can say it's a forecast, is you know the, the health um, specialists have said. Um, you know, the numbers will likely peak soon and uh, we will have a gradual fall of the COVID infection numbers in Hong Kong. Uh, and then I guess in the next two, three, two months probably, uh, we will see that uh, number falling rapidly. And then that will eventually lead us to a uh, citywide testing uh, of COVID. And uh, we will be much closer to, I guess, living normally back like what we did in fourth quarter by the end of the second quarter. And then the second half, I guess, given all the vouchers that's been handed out and the, I guess, we're looking at the domestic recovery in the first, early part of the second half. And then because of the tax orbit availability and the supply of which probably will be enough uh, for the nation 
the mainland uh, to supply its citizens um, for potential severe symptoms at the end of the year. Um, so we are looking at the, I guess, border reopening now, uh, I guess, the risk is uh, fourth quarter or, or maybe mm-hmm. in the first quarter next year, uh, given the current situation. Mm-hmm. So it seems that is China transits into reopening its border, maybe in 2023, as a guess. Um, then uh, we are looking at, at light of the tunnel. It seems that it just seems like maybe uh, nine to 12 months away. Mm. But um, John, a lot of a lot of Hong Kong businesses can't survive that long. No, no, indeed. Um, I don't think it's possible. Well, even uh, Jack outlined mm. a perfectly plausible set of scenarios, but we're not simply not hearing even that uh, from the leadership. Um, mm. In in terms of the markets, can I ask you both? You you say, Jack, you've mentioned that the the market here is very very cheap at the moment what would you what would you like to see to make you think okay this is a selling climax now in the markets that maybe we've reached a bottom um and it's time to to move back into local stocks is there anything in particular that you're watching out for well number one uh we are not at the point yet that i'm recommending this but we are at the point that we are need to carefully assess how much stock market has already fallen how much negative risk uh, uncertainty is already priced into the market, right? Um, but when we start looking into buying, uh, not now, um, is, okay, uh, number one, you still like the sectors that's supported by regulation, uh, which are the ones, no matter what happens, the fundamentals are still improving. So that is a safer place to put your money in. And then secondly, uh, you want to start dipping your toes very carefully into the very defensive the names that has got stable earnings outlook, uh, which means uh, utility companies uh, that that would benefit from, I guess, a, a good cheap valuation. That's why obviously energy prices have risen. Uh, that's price in the market now. Um, and then I will be looking at um, some of the banks, uh, which are defensively uh, valued and uh, benefit from rising interest rate environment. And then I will be looking at some of the, um, I guess, consumer stable companies um, that, I guess, um, are less impacted. But the, I guess, the tech, internet and healthcare companies, you know, even if there's a short-term rebound, it seems to me until we hear officially from the U.S. regulator and the um, Chinese regulator about a pause on regulatory changes, uh, it's hard to expect a sustainable rebound in the sector. Um, so I would be looking at more defensive names rather than, um, I guess, the very oversold names in the near term. John, what would you be looking for? Are you yeah. also looking for you know, some sort of sign that yeah. the regulatory crackdown is over on the mainland? Uh, yes, that's, um, th- that's going to be an important uh, potential inflection point, but uh, they'll say there's no sign of that as yet. No, I agree. Uh, at the moment, we're looking at you know, purely a value and, and yield type stocks, um, which are already, by the way, outperforming, as it were, falling at a falling at a, a slower rate than uh, than than the growth or so-called growth sectors and, and uh, internet and so on. Um, of course, what will happen when when you do breach an inflection? Though those those stocks will be extremely oversold and will rebound probably quite um, quite sharply, outperforming 
at least uh, at least in the short term when we get the first low in um you know for a short period of time they will outperform the, the value stocks and so on so um investors will need to be needably flexibly positioned but i would say for, for now it's it's all defense Okay, and Jack, finally, very briefly, of course, the Fed is meeting uh, this week, starts its two-day monetary policy meeting today. What sort of, we're, we're clearly expecting a 25 basis points rate hike this week. What impact is this going to have on Hong Kong? Well, I think uh, whether it raised 25 basis points, 50 basis points, or 37.5 basis points in this meeting, uh, I don't think it's the most important message we need to hear from the Fed, right? If they raise 25 basis points this month, they can raise uh, in July 50 basis point again. So I think um, for the full year, we still see 175 basis point rate hike that could still come. And next year, another 100 basis point. And that's obviously quite important for, uh, I guess, uh, how homeowners who's paying off mortgages. And uh, I guess stock market will create additional pressure as risk-free money is paying people a 2.75% return in two years' time. But the stock market, um, you know, is paying dividend yield of, say, uh, 3 to 4%. But then earnings have yet to be upgraded. So that means um, people would prefer some um, safe haven. But I will be looking at the timeline of which the Fed announced its uh, quantitative tightening. The ECB have said, you know, they will continue to tighten. They will reduce purchases in May and June. And the end is QE program by the third quarter. And Europe is so close to Russia. And even they are attacking and, uh, I mean, uh, reducing this QE. Mm. So it means in the Fed, it's, it's a very high likelihood that they will announce the timeline which they would do mm. quantitative tightening. Okay. And that is where the timeline mm. would, I guess, create negative sentiments for the markets in the near term. Okay. Mm. Final word to you, John. Just thirty seconds. Yeah, I was. Uh, I largely. Agree. I think. I think it's. It's good to have a, a clear timeline, clear path. I think we've discussed this many times. Um, okay. Just not, you know, going backwards and forwards. Will Will they raise this time by twenty five or fifty or so? That's useless. We just want to see, uh, you know, a steady uh, uh, kind of uh, path forward. Okay, and we'll know in the early hours of Thursday morning, Hong Kong time. That was John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment. Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. 5, 6, 7 a.m. Radio 3. And the time is 8.25. On the phone from Tokyo is journalist and author William Pesic. Morning, William. Morning, Peter. Um, let me ask you about Ukraine. What's, the, what's Japan's stance on the, uh, the war that's going on in Ukraine at the moment, and what sort of difficulties is it causing for Japan? Well, I mean, it's amazing to see the word Ukraine in the Japanese headlines with the frequency it's been uh, in the last 10 days. Um, it's getting a lot of attention here, and I think one reason why it's getting a lot of attention here is because I think a lot of Japanese are pleasantly surprised by how quickly uh, the government of uh, Prime Minister Kishida has signed on the sanctions, um, how quickly Japan has, even Japan, has opened up its borders to uh, some more refugees, which is big news. Um, and I think that many Japanese are looking at this as a chance for Japan to sort of, uh, I, I guess in many ways, recalibrate its uh, alliance with the U.S. You know, um, Donald Trump and Shinzo Abe had a kind of bromance, but it got Japan nowhere, got Japan nothing in terms of deliverables. And so I think many Japanese are looking at this moment, uh, and they're looking at the way that Prime Minister Kushida, frankly, is stepping up and reminding the world that 
you know, basically Japan and Asia matter. You have South Korea even signing on to sanctions against Russia. You have, you know, certainly Australia. And so this gives Joe Biden a chance to say, well, this is a global coalition against Russia. And mm. I think in many ways, Japanese are focusing on that. Mm. And what does um, the Japanese government hope to achieve from these closer relations with the U.S.? Well, I think they're looking for a little more, you know, a, a little more constancy, a little less uh, chaos. And certainly I think that they're hoping that, that the Biden administration over time will completely remove the Trump-era tariffs. You know, the Biden folks mm. have been reluctant to do that. I guess in some ways they're worried about being accused of being too soft on China and Asia in general. But I think Japan's looking at that. And also, you see China becoming more aggressive in the region. You see North Korea, you know, Kim Jong-un there is, seems to be feeling ignored. So he's acting up again. So I think in many ways, Japan is looking for a, a tighter relationship with Washington and one that clarifies the fact that Japan and the U.S. are friends, they're allies, and they're equals. And I'm not sure that was the dynamic during the Trump years. Mm. And what impact is it having on the Japanese economy, particularly these soaring commodity prices? Yeah, I mean, that is, that is the problem. I mean, certainly, uh, there's, uh, you know, you know, certainly surveys in the last couple of days have suggested that the Japanese economy will probably contract in the current quarter um, by about 1.4%. Household spending is down. And the problem, too, is that, you know, as you mentioned, Supply chains have been have been bidding up prices, and energy prices are now surging even further. So Japan is suddenly getting some inflation after years of trying, but it's bad inflation, mm. it's imported energy inflation. So it puts the Bank of Japan in a very very tight spot. I mean, do they do, do they taper? Um, do they increase liquidity, uh, which could fan inflation risks further? So all our all eyes are on the Bank of Japan, but certainly from a consumer uh, confidence standpoint. The Ukraine issue, rising oil prices, already is doing some damage. Mm. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? The Bank of Japan, which meets at the end of this week, has spent years trying to generate inflation, and now it looks like it's going to get it, and it's going to go above 2%. But as you say, it's, it's the wrong type of inflation. Exactly. And certainly, you know, at the moment, the U.S. dollar is rising because of this kind of global flight to quality as the yen depreciating. Normally, Japan loves a weak yen, but when commodity prices, when oil prices are surging like this, a weak yen is an added problem. So I guess for the BOJ, this is kind of a, you know, be careful what you wish for a moment, isn't it? Mm. And the yen's at a five-year low now against the dollar. Is it getting to a point at which the Bank of Japan starts to get concerned and maybe steps in? Well, I mean... Is possible, but I think what the Bank of Japan is more so worried about or, or focused on is does the U.S. Treasury start making noises? You know, mm. we've seen the U.S. Treasury in recent years, of course, lashing out at China's exchange rates. But you know, will the U.S. Treasury look at Japan and say, you know, the yen's getting a bit too weak for us? But you can argue that, given you know, basically fundamentals of the U.S. and the Japanese economies, um, you know, there's every reason for the dollar to be rising right now, uh, and the Fed will be probably raising rates this week. So the BOJ has been, you know, basically doing nothing in terms of uh, its balance sheet for five years now, and the, the, the Fed is tightening. So in many ways, the yen probably should be stable or weaker than the dollar at this point. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how the U.S. responds. And what does the Bank of Japan do on Friday? Does it stay pat and, and not change anything? I think the BOJ is very good at standing pat. <laughs> I think this is very <laughs> the much world, one of those. world leaders at it, isn't it? Well, this is one of those moments where it really is a, you know, wait-and-see situation. I mean, the BOJ is in a very tough spot because it can recalibrate its bond purchases a little bit, 
um, but that might actually spook the market and drive yields higher. So I expect the BOJ is going to stand firm, do very little, and put out a statement about how we're, you know, we're keeping tabs on the global economy, a lot of uncertainty ahead, but uh, for the moment we're on hold. William, thank you very much indeed. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Japan right now, the Nikkei 225 is up 0.1%. The ASX 200 in Australia is off about two-thirds of a percent. Uh, the Cosby also sliding in South Korea down about a quarter of a percent. And I'm afraid no end to the slide in Hong Kong stocks. Futures markets indicating that the Hang Seng is going to open another 370 points lower later on this morning. That will take the index to about 19,160. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is at $105.96 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,953 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for COVID updates with Jim Gould and Ada Wong after the news. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. The weather forecast, fine, humid with fog patches in the morning, maximum temperature of around 28 degrees. Going to be cloudy with a few showers in the next couple of days. It's 22 degrees right now, 84% relative humidity. The Times 8.32. Here's Andrew Shorsky with the half-hour news. The first batch of 75 doctors, nurses and assistants from hospitals in Guangdong province have arrived in Hong Kong to assist in the fight against COVID-19. Aaron Tam with the details. The medical staff work in respiratory, nephrology, cardiovascular and other departments closely related to the treatment of elderly patients. They'll provide medical care at the community treatment facility at Asia World Expo where patients are mostly elderly and have underlying diseases. The mainland medical staff will work to reduce the number of severe and fatal cases. Undersecretary for Food and Health Choi Tak-yi said the medical staff will boost services in the community treatment facility so that patients can receive better care. Hong Kong reported a new record daily COVID death toll with 249 people dying in the past 24-hour reporting period. Health authorities, meanwhile, reported 26,908 new infections. The central government has been quoted by state media as saying it will ensure stable economic operations this year amid the downward pressures and challenges facing China. Kenny Hajart has the details. The mainland is targeting slower economic growth of around 5.5% this year as a property downturn and lacklustre consumption cloud the outlook for the world's second largest economy. State media say the government will keep growth, employment and prices within reasonable ranges. Specifically, Beijing will strengthen cyclical adjustments, work to stabilise growth and continue to deepen reforms and opening up. The reports say the Cabinet will increase financing for small firms, speed up tax refunds and also take any steps necessary to cope with challenges stemming from international developments. Overseas, the governor of the Rivna region in northwestern Ukraine says nine people have been killed in a Russian airstrike on a television tower. Vitaly Koval said nine others were wounded and people were still trapped under the rubble. The mayor of Ukraine's second largest city, Kharkiv, in the east, said it was under constant shelling. In a video message, the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, encouraged Ukrainians to keep fighting, speaking here through an interpreter. 
when we see threats to our way of life, to our spirits, when we see a threat to Ukraine, to our state, we're not hesitating, not a, not a minute, because we're Ukrainians, we're getting united and doing everything to defend what is ours. U.S. Democratic congressional leadership has said that Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky will deliver a virtual address to Congress on Wednesday.